You're listening to Sarah Hagen backstage with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business. This week, Sarah talks with Gunnar Olsen. Welcome to Sarah Hagen Backstage. Our guest today, Gunnar Olsen, is a studio and touring musician who is known for his unique way of merging acoustic drum sounds with electronic sounds and effects. Today, we will talk to Gunnar about the change in perspective he has had over the past year, his musical evolution, and what he is up to now, including his gig with Pussifer. Stay tuned for some really great advice and insights. Hey, Gunnar. Welcome to Sarah Hagen Backstage. How are you? I'm great. It's great to see you. Great to hear your voice. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I feel pretty honored. I, it's still pretty new. So I've been Woo! listening and uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I was very excited to hear from you and kind of hoping I'd hear from you. And uh, so thank you. Yay! I'm so happy to hear that. I've been having a blast with these podcasts and, you know, you um, were someone who I just course wanted to get on the show as, oh, cool. as soon as possible and then with everything you have going on right now it was just really good timing so yeah. cannot awesome. wait to get into all of that stuff but tell me how you've been how have you been through the whole you know virus and quarantine and all of that um yeah it's been you know I, everybody has a different story um obviously i've been well uh, my wife is from maine from portland maine and um, I li- we live in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was about July 1st, we said, you know what, let's just go up and see her parents for a while. Like, we'll, you know, we'll be safe about it. We'll just kind of get out of the city for a couple weeks. I think we like plan to be there for two weeks. And we kind of never came back. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's really, it's, I, I also grew up in New York City. So, um, mm-hmm. Just like the, just the idea and concept that I was essentially living in the woods now, (laughs) Um, totally different, obviously. And, you know, the people are really nice up there. It was, it was, you know, there's so, there's so many, uh, there's so much fewer people up there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just kind of, it felt a little safer up there. You know, there was a few restaurants we could go to still and, but honestly, it was just really great to be with her, her family. We've been staying with her mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And I can't Rick and Drew, and I can't thank them enough for just their hospitality. And you know, my my wife works in advertising, so she was used to going to the office all the time. And I'm a musician, so I'm used to being out at night or touring. And when quarantine happened, we were kind of stuck in this little apartment in Brooklyn. And right. we, we, you know, we're usually busy enough where you don't realize how ridiculously small an apartment we live in. Mm-hmm. And um, so just being able to kind of stretch out and they're, they're they have a house and we, we had a little more space and having people to interact with because we weren't seeing anybody anymore. Right. Right. You um, need a contact, right? Yeah. So just even having like two more people to kind of just like have dinner with and, you know, have some like go on hikes and walks. And um, so it's, it, it was actually kind of the, the real kind of high, you know, the, the bright spot of all this was spending time in this beautiful area that I maybe get to go to one week a year because mm. just how everything works out and to spend eight months in this really beautiful, just totally different 
environment than New York has been really just kind of life changing, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I've been up in Maine for a lot of this, which also meant I didn't have a drum set. I was going um, to ask that how you were, you know, if you were kind of just taking a, a, a break from, um, from, you know, everyday playing kind of thing while you were connecting with nature and yeah. you know, writing it out. It was working out that I was coming back to New York usually once a month for about a week at a time and kind of mm -hmm. trying to schedule stuff because I do have a studio where I can record remotely for people. Mm -hmm. So I was able to kind of work things out where I'd come back for a week or two at a time. But I think my longest stretch not coming back was eight weeks, wow. um, which was, I don't know, in some ways it's kind of cool. Like you, there's so many things as a drummer that I think a lot of us kind of build up these little kind of ticks or um, <laughs> I don't know, like it's almost like this diarrhea of just like these things you do. And I feel like it kind of like reset my brain in some ways. So when mm -hmm. I was playing again, it was really, it felt a little more like special and like, oh man, like this is really fun. That, um, that is cool. That yeah. A little bit of a reset. Um, yeah. You know, change in focus or perspective yeah. kind of thing. But I will say, I will say I, the, one of the longer stretches of not playing was before this thing. I'm sure we'll talk about out in LA where I was playing with Pussifer and um I had to really, I mean, it really was tough. It was, a, it was a tough gig in general, just learning all these songs and they're very, mm -hmm. they're all over the place, but I, the, my mechanics and technique was just so, it just felt like I hadn't been to the gym in like two months and now I had to run a marathon. So. Right. You have to get the, get the, yeah. get the muscle memory back. I, you wouldn't have had any idea watching. Oh, that show. You. <laughs> you have to dive into that. Yeah, sure. Too, because yeah. Um, it's so, so fantastic. Oh, but, um, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I totally understand that. And I also understand the perspective change that has happened over this time. Um, yep. You know, realizing what's important in life, who is important reprioritizing. I think it's, it's been a, a, you know, I've used the word reset, but I think it's been a bit of a reset for pretty much everyone who's been affected, you know, in this, whether, whether their jobs or their industry or their yeah. family life. Um, definitely a reconnection with nature. I mean, this, the summer um, time frame was so nice for all of us because just getting out and getting fresh air, a lot of yeah. us, you know, who live in the, uh, in the colder temperatures in the winter, yeah. just, it was like, oh my gosh, fresh air, you know? Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time gardening and oh, cool. um, so I love that. I love seeing your posts from Maine because I, initially I was like, what is Gunnar doing? <laughs> Maine? What's happening? Yeah. I was kind of wondering how much I should post about it. Cause I was, I was like, I, I don't want, I don't want to lose the street, the street cred of being this <laughs> Brooklyn musician. Um, but you know, I wasn't really missing out on a lot of, you know, it, mm -hmm. it was the thing I liked about it was I think as kind of a freelance full-time musician, there's always that what's my next gig going to be like, mm -hmm. there's, there's the mechanics of, okay, I, I, the amount of work I need to live and, and be able to afford to live in New York. But then there's also the stuff you're hoping to do. And once all that stuff kind of went away and there wasn't this, you know, I'm an, I'm on Instagram way too much. And you, mm -hmm. you see all these amazing drummers getting these great gigs and, you know, there's a bit of a competitive feeling with a lot of that stuff. And I mm -hmm. feel like once all that went away and I wasn't really worried, you know, I, my dad's a Broadway musician mm -hmm. and he kind of 
I kind of, un unfortunately, the thing I, I got from him a bit is he just kind of said yes to every gig that came his way. Right. And I, I think that's a good way to live, but it was the kind of thing where I feel like I was always worried about, well, I might get a call for this. So I can't really leave New York for too long to go on vacation with my wife or like right. stuff like that, which the pandemic time, you know, with everything kind of stopped, it's put things into a bigger perspective where it's like, Oh, I don't actually want to play gigs all the time. I do want to like see nature and, and I do want to like spend time with family. Right. And, um, kind of with all that stuff just on pause, it's, it's been in some ways, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, made me a little less anxious, um, anxious about other things, of course, but right. Right. Of um, course, but... just having that time to feel like, Oh, well, I don't have to worry about, being available for something. I can just go to Maine for six months. You know, mm -hmm. when could I ever do that? So right. um, that's kind of been, been nice. I, I totally understand that perspective and in, in the same boat where, you know, work was an incredible priority in my life. And of course, still it is a priority in my life, yeah. but it definitely this time period helped me understand that it is okay to take a little time off. It's okay to have downtime. Yeah. Um, and the remote work thing has been yeah. incredibly eye-opening and refreshing that like, yes, these things can be done from home. Yeah. Zoom calls, you know, these calls that we're doing right now, we can connect and it, uh, it have meaningful connection, yeah. um, even if we're not together. I can't wait until we're all together again and we have things going on like yeah. that again. But I do think that, um, you know, it's been it's been, definitely been eye opening. And I'm so glad that you got that perspective, too. Yeah, it's been um, wild. And let's kind of let's go back a little bit and talk about being growing up in right in the heart of New York with yeah. um, music, music in your family. You said your dad is a Broadway musician. Um, how was that? Did you start playing music really young? And, and was it the drums or was it another instrument? I didn't start too young. I mean, the. the the, the benefit of living, I, I grew up right basically in Times Square. My dad was a Broadway oh, musician, right. so he was really close to, brought, we lived really close to that whole world. And um, so that, you know, you have all these opportunities available to you, but the hard thing about it for me is just, and a lot of musicians, it's it's really hard to play music in an apartment in New York City. Mm -hmm. So um, when I, my uncle's a drummer, and I remember thinking, ah, oh, it would be really fun to have a drum set, but like, how would we even do that? <laughs> you know? Right. And um, when my parents got divorced, my dad ended up moving to this apartment building that had like two other drummers in the building. Wow. Which I don't know. It feels kind of crazy now, but um, it meant that it was a possibility. I think it, I think that was kind of telling me, Oh, maybe this could happen. Mm -hmm. And um but I don't think I started playing till junior high. So I was probably maybe 12 or 13. And he, he wouldn't let me get a drum set. He said, if I got, he'd let me start with a drum pad. Mm -hmm. And if I took lessons and kind of kept up with it, then I'd get a snare drum. And then I, you know, so we slowly built a kit as I kind of, you know, as I showed that I was serious about it because he didn't right. really want, he didn't want to get me a drum set and I'm just some loud kid banging on it and not working on it. Mm -hmm. And um, pretty much right as I got the full kit, 
is right when Nevermind came out by Nirvana. Yes. And it was just like perfect timing. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, I like playing the drums. And like, it was just like something about that band with a lot of us just like clicked. And it was the first time I I never really thought I want to be a musician, but it just, it was like, oh, wait, these guys don't look that different from me. Mm -hmm. And these songs are really cool. And like, that Dave Grohl guy looks really cool when he plays the drums. So I'm just going to set up my drums really high. And, (laughs) and I basically just like set up a mirror and just would play along to their records every night and just literally just mimic the way he looked. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, it's. I can picture that. (laughs) Did you have long hair at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, yeah. (laughs) Right. I can just picture because this is like the early nineties, right? Yeah. Right yeah, 90, 92, I think, when yeah. that record came out. Yeah. And um, yeah, it changed my life. Really That's did. amazing. And I think that like speaks to the importance of being able to see yourself in certain situations and that kind of inspiring you to move move forward with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we talk about um, women in, in music and, yeah. and um, you know, just diversity. And I think like, showing that, you know, a woman is in this position or in your case, you know, before the the grunge era, that wasn't, it wasn't there. Like we didn't, we didn't see people who um, were drumming and um, playing that type of music who maybe looked like, like yeah. us in your case, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I love that. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Um, so you started playing, you were able to have a spot, have a, have a kit. Right. I was able to have a spot. Eventually, um, my dad moved out to Queens, got remarried, and um, his wife at the time was like, "He can't." Like, <laughs> we had a drum set up in the basement, and she just was kind of like, "No, this is like not I, happening." Yeah, it was just. I mean, hey, I get it. Like, drums are loud. Like, I'm still surprised how loud drums still are. You know, like, mm-hmm. and this is before like low volume cymbals and all right. that stuff. You know, I had a pad yeah. set, but yeah. yeah. Um, so my dad was able to get me a practice space. He knew some guys that had a space, and I had access to it a couple times a week. And that was great because that was when I started meeting kind of kids my age who wanted to like jam. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, I have a practice space. There's amps and drums and microphones. And so then before I knew it, I was like starting to play music with other people, which I just, I kind of never thought that was going to happen. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just never, it really like, Sarah, I just like kind of, I didn't really have time to think about it all. It was like, oh, I'm playing the drums. Oh, I have this thing. Oh, you want to jam? Oh, I have a, now I have a band. You know, just like stuff like that. And, um, you know, my first band was like a punk ska band, which I feel like a lot of us, <laughs> it was early, <laughs> early musical endeavors. And yeah. yeah, we would just play like our favorite, like Operation Ivy songs and Green Day songs and write some crappy songs. We got to play it like <laughs> CBGBs in New York. And, wow. Like, just well, like, that's like cool. yeah, just like, oh, we're pl- the, the bitter end, like we're playing yeah. a real gig. And, yeah. um, yeah, I went to school for music uh, in New York. There's a, high, a music and arts high school called LaGuardia. So I, I was going there for high school and kind of playing in orchestra and the jazz band. And yeah, it just, it was before I knew it, it was time to go to college. And I, well, I can go to this conservatory, SUNY Purchase and keep playing the drums. It was just, it, I 
I just feel like I never really had time to think, what am I going to do, mm-hmm. you know, for a living? And I think the fact that my dad's a musician, my mom's an artist, they, they were never, I never had to talk with them. Like, wh- how are you going to, what are you going to do for a career? How are you going to pay the yeah. bills? Like, yeah. I had, like I, I saw firsthand, like, this is how you can make a living. That it's possible, right? And um, so I just, my main goal was just keep playing the drums and not have a job. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, after college, ended up just jumping in a van with some buddies and we just kind of toured and that led to meeting more people and more bands. And I, yeah, just, I've I've literally never had time to think, think about it. It just kind of keeps happening. So yeah, that it's, that's pretty fantastic. It is. I'm, I'm really lucky and you know, it's, it's been amazing. And, and speaking of touring too, I mean, you've had, I, I actually first saw you play, you were at South by Southwest yes. with big data, right? Yep. And I was just, I stood behind you. I got to, uh, oh, to cool. stand, stand behind and watch you play. And I was just like, this is great. And and you guys had uh, a couple songs on the radio maybe at that point. So yeah, they, that was my, so my friend, Alan, who's essentially big, AKA big data. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've known each other since high school and we went to different high schools, but we know each other forever. And I knew he liked making music and I think he worked in music publishing at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, him and his friend Dan wrote this song dangerous that kind of snuck its way onto alternative radio. And I remember him calling me and saying, Hey, I have this band and I, Oh yeah, I've heard, I'd, I'd heard the song, you know, I'd heard mm-hmm. his, the four songs they had put out at the time. And, you know, he was like, Oh, I, I, I think I might, I think this might be a real band. Like I think, <laughs> I think I might be quitting my job and doing this all the time. Do you want to play drums? And there's going to be some festivals and like, yeah, sure. And I think we had just imagined it'd be like kind of 10 shows or something. And it turned mm-hmm. out to be like a two, like two years of my life. And, um, okay. you know, it was just wild because we grew up together and um, we kind of put together the band with a bunch of like friends we knew. It was, it was, I would say like top two or three um, bands I've been in where like just the chemistry and it's just, everyone's having fun. There's no drama. That's so important. <laughs> and I think because, we all kind of thought it would be this, not a flash in the pan, but because we didn't take it too seriously, we just had a lot of fun. And um, it was so unlike any other band I had played with at that time where you, you know, everything else I've been a part of until then, you know, you're, you're playing shows all the time. You're trying to like climb this ladder to get like on Spotify playlists and management. Mm -hmm. And they started with a hit song before they had a band. So it was like kind of from the get go, we were playing to a lot of people and people were excited to hear at least that song that they knew. Right. So I think that was our first South by Southwest. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool show. It was on the top of a whole foods. Yeah. I remember right. And it was pouring rain. (laughs) Yeah. I think it rained almost that whole week, which was such a bummer. Cause like I flew my wife out and we're thinking like, Oh, we'll get tacos every day. And like, Go on walk. It was just like raining the whole time. It was super <laughs> rainy. I called it South by South wet because it was <laughs> yeah. so rainy. So, yeah. but I just remember seeing you play and being like, "This guy, like, there's something, there's oh, something thanks. about you." Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I just loved seeing everything that you did from there on because 
you were you did more touring you did um a bunch of studio work when when you sent me uh the bruce springsteen um you know the the i think it was a video maybe of you playing um the first thing that i saw and i was just like what is going on this is so cool um i mean because it was like a little bit of a departure i think from what I just knew you as as yeah. uh, as playing. It was super cool. Yeah, I, that's kind of been. I, I will say, like, that's been the the most fun part of this kind of journey of the last, I guess, five to seven years. Is I've I've managed to kind of keep playing with projects that I feel like are completely different than the project before. Mm-hmm. And you know, I grew my, like I grew up listening to Bruce Springsteen. I grew up listening to the Talking Heads. I grew up listening to Paul Simon, you know, and then Nirvana. So I've always wanted to play all styles of music. Mm-hmm. And I've been, you know, when I step back and kind of look at the artists I've played with in the last five years, it's I I, I feel pretty proud that it's not just kind of one thing. Absolutely. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that. And I and I feel like if you try to do a little of too many things at once, you fall into that. Maybe like you might go down that lane of not being able to do anything quite as well. I don't know. It's like the jack of all trades, mm-hmm. master of none or whatever that phrase is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've been pretty fortunate to kind of do some great play with some crazy people the last few years. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if it was before or after Bruce, but you had a you re- did some recording with Miley Cyrus as well, right? Yeah, that was through um, my buddy Andrew Wyatt, who is the singer of Mike Snow, mm-hmm. and also does a lot of production stuff. And he ended up he did a bunch of stuff with Miley. Um, the stuff I did for her and with him was for the. Um, they did an Elton John kind of tribute record where they got all these people like Queens of the Stone Age and like all these really cool bands to do a cover of Elton. And they did a pop version and they did a country version. And Miley mm-hmm. was the only artist that had a song on both. Oh, wow. And Andrew did both those songs and kind of in typical fashion, he called me like, can you come to the studio right now? <laughs> And that's honestly been, I, I, I could, you know, the, the Springsteen thing, this Miley thing have all been day of calls, mm-hmm. frantic, like, I need a drummer right now, and you're the person I'm calling. And if I didn't answer the phone, they'd probably call somebody else. And I oh. think, I think you know, which, which kind of explains my paranoia. Right. Um, I was not, just thinking that. <laughs> not wanting to go to Maine for two weeks because what if I miss a call because it's happened. And you know what, you know, I've, I've, I've missed a few things because of touring and, you know, you just can't, you can't clone yourself and you just got to hope that those opportunities will keep coming back. Um, But yeah, there's time that where I think, man, if I didn't answer the phone, if I, if, you know, when my buddy Mm -hmm. called me about the Springsteen thing, I had a rehearsal that night and I'm like, Oh, I probably can't make it today because he didn't tell me who it was for. He said, Hey, can you come to Jersey? Cause it's such a secretive thing. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know, man, I got this rehearsal. Maybe could we do it like next week? He's like, you need to rent a car and come right. Now. Like he was like trying so hard to not say the words. And then eventually yes. he just said, it's for the boss. Like 
get here? I'm like, oh, yeah. like, why just did we just, me. just tell me? <laughs> I do um, remember you telling me that story um, yeah. when that happened. Cause I was like, how did this come about? Um, just, just super cool. And yeah, then, I mean, well, the point of those stories is, is that, you know, um, Hey, there's a million drummers out there. There are, there's a short Rolodex for the people that, uh, for the drummers, those kind of people call. Um, but I was able to kind of get in there on a lark. My buddy had been working with Springsteen for years and kind of vouched for me. And he wasn't supposed to, Springsteen wasn't supposed to be there when I recorded for him. Oh, wow. And it was, it was just like, they figured I'd maybe come in, play some parts. They'd either keep them or they'd use them as demo drums for some famous drummer to play. And it just happened that he showed up when I was tracking unannounced and you know, I just happened to be in that room and he wanted to try some ideas out. And I think the thing that I had going for me is that I just stepped up to the plate and I just, I just did the best I could. You know, you like, keep your head down. You, you're, you don't act like a dick. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's not like I was playing something better than somebody else could. It was just being, being prepared for that moment. And that's, that's the, that's the challenging part is how can you, mentally be prepared if you get this call from insert any famous person uh, right you know it's it's a lot of it has to do with the people you know and mm -hmm. your attitude and just kind of can you make it work you know right so preparation and personality come into yeah. play for sure <laughs> for sure at least in and, my case you know yeah and then and then are they you know going to call you back to do more things um if you show them that you're prepared and you know that you fit you gel with them as far as you know your personality goes. You get those those calls back, and you 100%. make those relationships for the future. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. And you know, we have to talk about your solo um, instrumental album because, oh, cool. yeah, I mean i I think that it really just showcases um, you and your style of playing so well. the 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 sound effects that you use, kind of throughout the album fascinate me i mean you know i'm into sound yeah. um and you know just different aspects of music and i feel like um you know percussion wise it was it was really cool the the hand claps and the finger snaps and i'm just wondering like did you do all of that um did you program all of those how did you how did you make that happen so um yeah a yeah. lot of a lot of the work i do as a musician to kind of pay the bills is um, I make a lot of audio library music and I produce a lot of electronic music. So starting around 2013, I started making a lot of music uh, with a production company I have called Track Tribe. And we kind of got a gig to make a bunch of music for YouTube's audio library. And I, the idea was that they wanted to have just a bunch of songs in a library, bunch of different genres that people could use in their videos, kind of, targeted towards their content creators. Mm -hmm. And so I think we made like 400 songs in a year, like just, I think eight different genres. Like I was making like, like I was like looking up tutorials, like how to make dubstep songs, and like <laughs> in my, you know, like yeah. I, I had made music on my computer kind of as a hobby, but now all of a sudden I, it was going to be my, my main job for the year when I wasn't touring. And I just kind of was, I was, I've been making music kind of as a hobby here and there. And 
you know, the thing I learned from making these 400 songs with a few different, with a group of guys is that I was able to kind of finish a bunch of things really quickly. And that I think a lot as musicians, as artists, that can be a daunting thing is like, when is something finished or that thought, Oh, this isn't good enough. Like I need to, I need to re-record the drums before I ever put this out. Or there's so many excuses I feel like we make for ourselves. And um, so that whole process of putting all this music out and releasing it with, um, you know, on the YouTube audio library, just kind of, I learned from that where, you know what, I, I want to put out an EP, my name, I want to have my name on it. And um, it was just kind of like, uh, I gave myself a deadline. I'm like, by this date, it's I'm going to put it on TuneCore and put it on iTunes and Spotify. So um, to answer your question, I, I really like um, cutting up things. Like I use Ableton Live mm-hmm. and I just, I love, I just love messing around with chopping things up. And essentially I like to record, you know, maybe a keyboard or hand clap, I don't know, whatever it is, record things for like maybe five to 10 minutes at a time. And then I'll kind of go through and find the moments I like and try to make like a loop out of it or make something, some kind of hook to it. So I think like the thing you were mentioning, like finger snaps and hand claps, Mm-hmm. That song is a very it's a there's a song on my EP called When Will Today When Will Today Be Tomorrow? And it's a very there's a bunch of like electronic programming, a lot of real drums. But I thought like it would be really cool to have there's something about like a finger snap or a, a, a like a clap. It's this organic sound that really cuts and like your ear kind of recognizes it so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that the the displacement between all these like really highly electronic sounds and big recorded drums. It would just like, I don't know. It's thought it'd be kind of interesting. I, I, I remember um, there's a early James Blake EP and, and there's some songs on there. That's just like a piano and one hand clap every like five bars or something. And just the starkness really like stood out to me. And I think I might've been listening to that a lot of the time, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just, um, you know, I, I like rhythm and yes. I, I think just, it might've, I might've even just like clapped that into like my, my computer speakers or something just as, as like a placeholder. Yeah. And then sometimes those kind of found sounds can really um, mesh really well with just like all these like super recorded, highly electronic sounds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I would say like as an artist, as a you know solo musician, I'm really I love texture. So I'm always looking for just different sounds that will complement each other. You know, like um, yeah, like like you said, like a finger snap versus a kick drum or right, uh, right. And so. I think you do you do this incredible job of taking organic sounds and merging them with electronic sounds, whether it's acoustic drums, whether it's actually like an organic hand clap sound, and then making them work with with electronic sounds that in a way that when I listened to that album, I was I immediately was drawn to that. Um, Yeah. And again, I'm I'm super into sound and rhythm as well. Yeah. Like, you know, hearing there there was a song um, Bulletproof Tiger, where I could hear like, jingling and i want to know yeah. like what is that what <laughs> yeah i think that jingle is uh it's it's literally like i recorded a, a tambourine into a memory man pedal mm-hmm. i'm also really I, I, i'm really into like pedal boards and like 
I like using like guitar pedals for things they're not really meant to be used with. Mm -hmm. So I think I was running a tambourine into like a loop pedal and then on the memory man pedal just like had like the wet dry up and it, it, it ended up like, I think it was as simple as just like a, you know, quarter note tambourine, but it started having this crazy long tail that was then kind of chasing itself. And it like, it, it turned like a tambourine can be kind of a harsh instrument if you just hit it once, mm -hmm. but it turned into this kind of like longer sound. And I was, I, I, that's, I wrote the whole song around that tambourine loop. I can understand totally why. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty sound. It's really, it's really nice. Like pleasing yeah, the ear. Cool. Um, and yeah. So, so talk a little bit about that whole thing with like the guitar pedal, um, you know, kind of hybrid drumming thing. I know you also, you have, we're going to link a video um, because you have this really incredible instructional video about how you use your chaos pad. Oh yeah. It's so good. So oh, we'll thanks. link that in here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, doing those loops and, and kind of using the guitar pedal um, is not only super cool and unique, but it's led to um, you being sought after for gigs as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I was in a band with my friend Gray called Nights on Earth, and he had the Line 6 DL4, DL6, DL4. It's a green guitar pedal, but it has this loop function, mm -hmm. and it has a button on it where you can, you can essentially, if you're, you know, I think it's made for guitars, so if you're playing a guitar riff, and you loop it, and you press this button, it'll double the speed of it. So now the loop is twice as fast and it makes the pitch go up. And then wow. if you, if you record it with that switch engaged, it pitches the whole thing down an octave. And I remember like at rehearsal, I, I, I like, I think we were on a break and I ran, I put a microphone into it and it was like feeding back and sounding awful. <laughs> <laughs> but I started like trying to, I was like, Oh, I should like, what happened if I use this on my drums? And it took a long time to figure out how can I do this without feedback or it's sounding kind of awful. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I got one of those Yamaha EAD 10 mics mm -hmm. when they came out. And what's really great about that mic, it's a stereo mic and it goes, it clips onto your kick drum and it's kind of right in the center of where all the action is happening. Mm -hmm. And it has a left and right quarter inch out so you can it's just so easy to go into pedals and because it's kind of capturing the whole kit there's not this like oh where should i put this mic so it captures what i'm doing it just kind of it takes that out of the equation which i really like that's great and so i just started running that through distortion pedals and i had this chaos pad which i think was made for djs if if people look it up online the fun thing about it is it's got a touch sensor so you can kind of move your finger on this this like touchpad and change the, the like kind of wet dry and the, the, the amount of effects it's got delays and distortion. And it's, it's, it's a crazy device. And I started running my drums through it. And what's really cool about it is you can set a BPM on it. So if you make a loop, it stays perfectly in time, which, you know, doesn't need to happen if you're, if you're having fun with a loop pedal, but, since I'm making so much electronic music, it was really great to have this device that would keep things pretty in check. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I just kind of started making videos with it and, and um, 
Yeah, it's funny. I'm seeing a lot of drummers starting to explore kind of pedals and effects on their drums. I think it's kind of going to be the next wave. The next thing. Yeah. yeah. So some of the reason I put that video out is I just kind of wanted to be like, hey, I've been doing this for a second and this is some <laughs> cool stuff you can do with. And then if any, if anybody keeps using the chaos pad, at least I can say, well, I, at least I have this video out. I'm not copying this person. Right. Um, well, that's a good point. And just for, for um, people who are looking that up too, it's uh, chaos with a, a K, right? K-A-O. SS, yeah, it's made by Korg, and um, no endorsement there. I just that's who makes it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's super cool. I want people to be able to find it too, and and like I said, we'll link that because um, I hadn't ever seen that video, and you sent it to me, and I was watching it like this is incredibly interesting. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and unique. Um, and then you know those are the kinds of things that you know I I want to hear about how you got the call um to be the drummer in Pussifer. yeah i think um i think some of these videos we're talking about if you go on my instagram gun buns um and i always joke to my wife i i think if i actually thought <laughs> one day i would be using this as a professional page i might have picked a different name but i also <laughs> i also don't take myself too seriously so i kind of it's kind of perfect it's perfect and it has to stay everybody yeah. knows oh it's going to stay it's stay yeah. yeah uh but yeah matt mitchell from Pussifer reached out to me i want to say like maybe a few weeks into the pandemic. So maybe late March or April of last year and just kind of a very, just a, I, I, I think he sent a message to like my, my website email. So it was like, it came, you know, and stuff people DM me all the time, but this came in through like a submission form on my email. Oh, wow. And I was like, it just said, Matt Mitchell, Pussifer. And Hey, do you want to reach out? And would you be interested in talking? And this is like a month into all this madness. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, sure. But what, you know, what, what could we even talk about? And um, they basically, I talked to him and Karina, uh, female vocalist in the band. And they, they had tours planned for this year for 2021. Mm -hmm. And um, they were curious if I would be available, if I wanted to maybe send them some videos of me playing some songs of theirs, but yeah, I think Matt found me on Instagram and um, the record they were about to put out had a bunch of electronics and live drums, but it was a little more electronic than their records before. Mm -hmm. And I think he saw how I was utilizing kind of maybe pedals or just kind of combining real sounds with electronic sounds and thought it might be a cool fit for, their record existential reckoning, which they're going to put out <clears throat> now, mind you, most of that record is Sarah Jones playing, mm -hmm. but um, it actually worked out that after we talked, I sent him some video and they're like, cool. We like, you sound great. Um, he sent me a song to play. He sent me two songs to play on and I was able to record remotely and end up on the record, which was kind of exciting. Cause it was, it was a kind of thing where I feel like if we weren't in this remote world, they might've just found somebody in LA to do it. But because mm -hmm. we had been talking because he had seen, I was doing remote work. It, 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 it was the first time where I feel like the fact that I could do drums remotely benefited me and, and, and helped me get on the record. And um, yeah, so it was, it's been crazy just to like, 
I've talked about it with friends of mine. I, I somehow, you know, to, to get a relatively high profile gig during this pandemic is just kind of unbelievable. And, you know, the credit to that band is that they realized touring is going to be on hold for a while. So let's make some really cool live streams. And we've done two of them now. And, you know, the first one we did was for the record that I played on a little bit called Existential Reckoning. And we filmed that out in the desert in Arizona at this right. kind of big, crazy, um, uh, this place called Arcosanti, this crazy architecture. It's kind of, um, it's almost like a commune out in the middle of the desert. Like people live there. You can stay there. They build these crazy bells there. You can go and, and take tours of it. And we basically shut the whole place down for a week and just went out there and recorded. Uh, we played the whole record, which was, wow. that was a pretty big challenge because like I said, the record is kind of half electronics and half real drums, but we knew we didn't really want to just have me playing on like rolling SPDSs or pads for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was kind of, that was the, the, that was the, the, the hardest part of that gig was figuring out like, how do we want to do this song? Do we want to trigger things? Do we want to leave stuff on tracks, but I'll play on a, an accompanying kind of textured instrument. And yeah, it was, it was the, maybe the most challenging gig I've had to this date. Just. Um, I can imagine that. And, and plus, you know, being like right in the middle of the pandemic too, when you guys did that, right. It was, Kind of. Yeah, the first one we we I went out there in September, and we filmed in October. We went out there in September and filmed, and I think we were done by October. But this was like, I mean, that was the first time I flew on a plane mm -hmm. during all this, and it was California was getting kind of bad, and and um, you know I'd been up in Maine, kind of just like in the middle of nowhere, being pretty safe. So it was like right. it, you know we had a, there was all these protocols we had to set up like how do i get there safely how do we keep the band safe during it mm -hmm. um and then cut to we just did another live stream that we filmed in february and just the differences between now there's these whole you know covid protocol specialists and you know the first time we were kind of winging it and like we were getting tested and just kind of like it was just kind of uncharted territory and just a sure. different, just a difference in six months. Right. You know, we're working with uh, Danny Wimner presents and they have like, there's like these specialists and like they have all these things you do and um, just seeing how that has changed, you know, it, it was kind of fascinating because, you know, now we're getting tested like every other day and, and there's certain days like you can't go on set and, mm -hmm. And not that it wasn't like that the first time, but things are so kind of figured out now. Right. There's more process to it and yeah, yeah. And procedures to follow. Yeah. Which like was, is, you know, you hear like, oh, they're going to be testing us more and doing this. And it's like, sure, you know, whatever we need to do. And it just, it, it keeps everyone really safe. And we kind of build this big pod and, um, you know, it, but, you know, knock on wood, both of the live streams we've done, everyone stayed safe and nobody got sick. That's um, great. So yeah. And the last it, one um, in LA, right? It was at the yeah. Mayan theater, um, yes. which is, I mean, I've never been there before. It looks like an incredible, 
An incredible place. Had you been there before? Yeah, I played there in 2000. I was in a band called The Exit. That was kind of like my first like band. Mm -hmm. And we ended up going on tour with Muse um, kind of when they were like breaking into the US. So like they were mm -hmm. pretty huge around the world, but they were, you know, they had a record called Absolution that kind of put them on the map in the US. So it was their Absolution tour. And we played the Mayan theater with them. And this was like probably, this was like the first time I'd ever played like a proper theater or like a venue in LA. So it, it mm -hmm. always stuck in my mind is like this mythical place. Like we played these, I think we played two nights there and you know, it's probably like a 2,500 capacity. So it's big, not super big, but like my band started playing like basements. So it was, mm -hmm. it was pretty huge to play the Mayan. And so when I found out we were going to do record this in the Mayan, I was so excited just to, you know, nostalgically go back, but like be in the band that's like kind of headlining, even though it's not a real show. Um, it was, it was really, it, it was awesome to play there again. That's so great. And it was shot so well, you know, kudos to uh, the crew because yeah. it was so great. Um, you know, oh, and you. seeing you play your kit with all the sound effects, all yeah. of the, the, you know, the noise makers and things that you're playing. Yeah. Um, it's so cool. Like any percussionist, it's just like, you know, you have, have to see this because watching you navigate those songs, um, which are complicated, you know, oh, yeah. there are so many songs. I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is, yeah. this is a tough one. Um, yeah, it's definitely the hardest. It's definitely the hardest music I've ever learned in the sense where I don't, I don't make charts. I just, I listen to something long enough that, it's just really ingrained in my mm -hmm. mind. And I think the play counts for all these, these last two records are like in the thirties and forties, like just, I would just spend like two or three weeks. That's all I do is just listen over and over. I, I would try to listen to the songs for maybe a week or so before I'm even thinking like, what are the drum parts, mm -hmm. you know, just let the music kind of, um, just try to soak it in and not just think, okay, what are the drum, what, what are the kick and snares doing? And that's, that's the other part is that that band is very specifically random. So there's always like a, a drum fill or like a, a drum beat that repeats two times, but then for four times it does this way. Yes. And it's, it's, it's madness. And, you know, I, I know a lot of that is Matt Mitchell who found me is a lot of how he, 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 he mixes the records, he produces them. So a lot of it is how he cuts up the drums and kind of turns them into something different. And um, yeah, it's a huge challenge. And I, you know, a lot of really talented drummers have played for that band. Right. And um, so I'm very aware of the lineage of who I've kind of like followed and, and uh, I don't take it lightly, you know, and they, they've played with like the best drummers in the world. So it's. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know. But I just I think that you your style of playing is just so perfect for that. And, oh, and the way, again, that you have the the electronics and the, the acoustic and yeah. the acoustic that mimic electronic and yeah. um, all of that. And one question I had for you was, you know, when listening to the music, because for this second show, you were having to like listen to those and put your take on it as far as what you what instruments you were going to use to make those sounds, right? Right. So the the 
so so just to clarify the two live streams we've done have been just have been a full record at a time so the first one we did existential reckoning i played on that one a little bit so i i had a bit of a leg up but there was also a lot of electronic stuff so this record money shot which we just did a live stream for is is very much a rock and roll drum record right and you know, the difference was the first live stream I did, no one had ever heard those songs. So I was kind of the first drummer to perform them live and get to right. put my spin on it. The record we just did, they've done, they did a tour for that record in 2015. So the fans like know that record. So that, so that the, the challenge of that is doing the songs justice, right? I don't want to come in there and, well, first off, they wouldn't let me just do what I want to do in the sense where you need to honor the drum parts that are there that like, I'm sure there's a bunch of drummers watching a live stream that want to air drum. And like, I don't want to like, <laughs> you know, there's like, it's kind of like you, you listen to the songs, you zero in, like, what are the, what are the things that have to be done the same way every time? Mm -hmm. And then finding those parts for a little, my personality to come out. And, and a lot of that has, you know, a lot of that just kind of evolved after rehearsing for three weeks. Um, you know, Matt, Matt maybe saying, Oh, I like that different thing you're doing, or let's try to stick to like very verbatim thing there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say in general, I feel like there's not two types of drummers, but there's drummers that maybe, you know, I feel like there's some drummers, if you played, if you stack up 10 of their live shows, it would be like they play the same thing every time, mm -hmm. you know, like, and a lot of drummers pride themselves on that. Like, Oh, I'm always doing that one fill and this and that. Yeah. I've, I feel like at least in the last five to 10 years, as I've kind of figured out a bit of my voice is I like to find the things I'm going to do every night and then know that this is the section I'm going to kind of, be inspired by the moment. Like, how am I feeling? Like that might mean tonight on tour, it's going to be a little busier or tonight mm -hmm. I might like lay out and have it just be the kick drum. Um, you can't quite do that with a live stream because you, you're, you're playing, you're basically going to film a song maybe five times. They're going to pick the audio of what they like, but they mm -hmm. also might use, the video from five different takes because, Oh, there's a great shot of Karina on this one. And so that's been kind of a, a new thing. Like it's this new world of you're kind of recording because you want to sound great. You're also performing, but then it's also almost like a music video because right. they're, they're going to use footage of maybe not the exact time you played it. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a challenge of, I really want to be present and in the music but I need to kind of play the same thing. So if they use a different shot, it syncs up. It's weird. It's a head trip, to be honest. Yeah, um, I can imagine. But it was so cool to see you. You know, oh, there thanks. were just so many great shots and um, of you. Yeah, it looked incredible. It was. It, I mean, I hadn't cool. seen. I hadn't seen any of it until I watched it with the general public and just mm -hmm. like. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and the way that it was put together, um, you know, it's a it's performance art, you know, which, yeah. which Maynard is, is known for. 100%. Um, so it was, I mean, it must've been cool to be part of a production like that, you know, that kind of like comes out of the brain of, 
of Maynard James Keenan, you know? Yeah. He's uh, I, I feel really fortunate to be kind of in his uh, I feel like this is the band where he gets to really just like try anything he wants out. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, he likes to laugh. He likes to have a good time. I feel like this is like the zanier of his groups, but when it comes to like performing and like getting things right, like, it's like, that's all that matters is trying your hardest and just like really doing it. You know, like, yeah, there's going to be like a skit here and there where he's wearing a wig or something, but when we're yeah. performing, like it's, it's no joke. It's like, we're really doing this. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it's, he's a legend. It's, 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 it's always surreal being in the room with him, you know, like it's, and um, yeah, he, yeah. he brought it. I, I couldn't, I thought he sang so great. And it was just like such a, it's, you know, it's like the, it's one of those voices we grew up with. You know, I watched so much MTV as a kid mm -hmm. and I've played with a few artists now where it's like the second he hits like a note where he's kind of going for it. It's just like this nostalgic part of me is like, it's like a pinch me moment. It's like, yeah, like I, I grew, grew up on that voice, like similar with Springsteen, you know, it's just like these moments where I don't really know what else to say about it. It's just like, I, I just try not to like mess up and get thrown off the gig is that, yeah. <laughs> that's really that's all i'm trying to do is just hang out a little longer and uh maybe crack a joke and make them laugh and that always kind of keeps you in an extra day i feel like so absolutely yeah but i i agree with you too um you know that voice um and i feel like pussifer is a a place for like you said for him to be more experimental yeah. um you you know his there are more songs where you hear the deeper part of his voice I yeah. think. but um you know, it's it's just really cool to see you um, on on those live streams, and and I I can't wait till uh, till you guys you know get around and tour and all of that as well. It's yeah. like a it's like a, a you know performance art every night kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of brings me back to like the the idea of this like you know before we started, we were kind of talking about like what is the future of the live stream and mm -hmm. and. Um, that's the thing I miss the most is being able to do something in the moment, meaning live, like a normal traditional live thing. And it's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's the moment. And it's, it doesn't, if you're like going for something and you're all in, it's okay if it's maybe not the cleanest fill you've ever played, but if you're playing it with intention right? and, uh, and that's what the moment is bringing out of you. And that's what I really miss because I feel like with a live stream, you know, it's, you want it to sound good. You want it to look good. So it's a little more reserved right. and, you, and you have no audience to feed off of. Right. That you energy know? isn't coming back yeah. at you. Like I mean, I will say the closest thing on the live stream, like we filmed a few shots with, I was literally surrounded by like 20 huge wrestlers. Yes. I mean, they were like right in my face <laughs> and those, those like three songs I was, I actually was feeding off of their energy and I hadn't felt, it was something I hadn't felt obviously since maybe last February is that feeling of like, Oh, if I hit the drums harder, they're going to probably headbang harder. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, so that was just kind of, I kind of forgot that feeling, you know, cause we had been rehearsing for three weeks and, you know, I've been feeling pretty good. And then now we're doing these takes. We're like, now I'm playing like this and we're like, between each take, I'm like, Oh my God, wow. Like, I'm really <laughs> performing. Okay. We, we got to do two more of these to get all the shots. I'm like, if this was a live show, we would just move on to the next song. And now I get like, all right, here we go. Like, 
Because the next, the next yeah. take might be the one that they use. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it's a fun challenge. And like I said, not playing the drums for eight weeks before that, I was a little Run right into it. Right. <laughs> I've, I've been eating a lot of lobster rolls and, uh, uh, let's say, you know, it's like the freshman 15, but maybe it's the COVID 15. Yes. Um, I, I get it. Totally. Yeah, so. I think that's a common, <laughs> common theme. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think that the live stream thing is pretty amazing for the fact that you know, you kind of get to share the music with so many people who might not be able to make it to a, a live show, right? Yeah. Who might not be able to see it. Um, a good example of that is the uh, PASIC convention, which is percussion, mm. percussive arts yeah. convention that happens every November. This past November, it was virtual. And normally it's in Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah. And it's, you know, the people who attend um, don't often come from other countries to attend. But this right. virtual PASIC was attended by people from like 31 different countries. Yeah. So I feel like it's opening music up wider um, to people, but, but yes, like the in-person feeling, I think, I think there's going to be a hybrid, you know, moving yeah. forward. There will be a lot of, uh, a lot of virtual shows that maybe we didn't think were possible before, but yeah. now it's been proven possible and then also you know the in-person shows where you're really like shoulder to shoulder with someone next to you who's yeah. also super into the music and then the musicians can feel that and you know yeah. I don't think that's ever going away i think the thing that that maybe they'll, and maybe they'll figure this out and maybe there's some live streams that have done this i think the part that as a as a viewer i miss is like sometimes i just want to watch the drummer for the whole song or sometimes like <laughs> the basis is doing something and I'm just like, you, you're like, Oh, look at that. And the thing that I think is hard about the live stream is you're being shown what you're being shown. Mm -hmm. And luckily I would say with the ones we've done, I mean, the production value is incredible. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it ends and it ends up feeling more like a concert film, like a live at Pompeii. Right. Pink, I mean that, like the, the live of Pompeii, Pink Floyd, and Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads. I think those are kind of the benchmarks for a concert film. And I know those were kind of benchmarks for the directors and, you know, Maynard and Matt who kind of put together a lot of the looks for it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if they can find out, find a way to make live streams where you can just really like, focus on anybody like that would be really cool i don't know if that's possible i don't yeah. know if maybe, i don't know if people have done that yet but if not i want to i want to claim <laughs> stake to it and uh, somehow make some money off of it you should you should talk <laughs> to someone about that because that's a really great idea where you could like pick from a few different camera angles right yeah. um yeah. yeah and you know what too thinking about that just one shot that i loved um was i think it was the it was really close to the end. There, uh, smoke and mirrors, maybe where mm -hmm. it showed you with your gong, your your rack of gongs behind yeah. you. That was incredibly cool. I mean, a lot of drummers have a giant gong behind them. Yeah. You have this this rack of these small gongs um, of different tunes. Right? How how did how did that come about? That was awesome. So that that was great because that's the one song in the record that has no drums. So I just imagine, okay, this is the song that I'm not a part of. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we were like a week into rehearsals and Matt said, you want to do something on this one? And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, 
And they said, what if we got a bunch of tuned gongs? And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but sure. <laughs> and so we basically got, you know, they're about the size of a, I don't know, like a, a rice bowl. Mm -hmm. And they're tuned just kind of chromatically. So it was a scale, I think, in C or whatever the key the song is in. And so when we got them, they're just li they're literally a gong with a little rope. There's no like stand for them. So when we got them, we kind of awkwardly put them on a bunch of mic stands and just kind of hung them. And then he was cool. He said, just just start playing around on them. See if you can come up with like a part for the chorus. Mm -hmm. And uh, after like a few hours of jamming, like came up with a part we all agreed on. And then uh, my tech for the Pussifer stuff has been Jeremy Berman, who makes Q drums, mm -hmm. who's a, I'm, I'm sure you guys know each other. And he's a world, he's a world-class drum tech, drum builder, and a uh, great guy. We've known each other for years, and it was such a pleasure just, like, going out to sushi with him and, like, hanging out. And so he built the rack that we put the gongs on. So mm -hmm. you'll see on the special, or I'll put pictures up eventually. He basically just, like, welded um, this piece of steel and just kind of found a way to mount them all in this really aesthetically pleasing way. It's beautiful. And, uh, and yeah, it sounds great. And like when I was watching with my wife, she was like, how did you learn how to play that? And I was like, well, I don't know. I just kind of, I, I don't know. It. <laughs> she, yeah. she, like, it was the one thing she was impressed by. I mean, she liked the show, but she was like, she could like, let alone I'm doing all these drum parts. She's like, yeah, but how did you learn how to play that? Yeah. I, like, I don't know. I just kind of figure it out. And uh, I, my favorite moment was, uh, you know, Maynard walks in the first day we have it set up and we're like, Pretty cool, right? The the gong tree goes. I play in a band with Danny Carey. <laughs> That's not a gong. You call that a gong? That's not a gong. Oh and, my uh, goodness! That sounds like that yeah. sounds right. <laughs> and yeah, Danny has that giant um, gong behind him with like, yeah. you know, it's designs on it sometimes, right? Art artwork on it, and yeah. Um, but no, this was like it was just. I liked the difference, but you know, yeah. anyone can have a gong behind them, but look, look at this, like incredible. Yeah. It looked gong really tree. cool. I thought yeah. it'd be really funny to take them all out and leave just one in the middle and just have it be like, <laughs> it's really the anti-gong gong, you know, like I'm a big <laughs> Alex Van Halen fan and like all those, all that footage of like him hitting it, like lighting it on fire, like just to like recreate that but with this little like rice bowl gong. Tiny gong with a giant gong mallet. You have to have yeah. the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the mallet's bigger than the gong. Right. I like um, this idea. Um, you know, that's super cool though. The, the show, um, it was just, it was perfect. Everything oh, about it was so great. You did an yeah, amazing Yeah, I, I couldn't be happier with how it turned out. And um, yeah, I have a feeling it'll, it'll, I don't think it's going to go away forever. You know, I think it'll mm -hmm. come, you know, I think it'll come back. They'll, they'll release it somehow, but it's, it's the same with the other one too. They're, they're too special to like, just go away. I think they might kind of bring them back from time to time and, you know, knock on wood, there's talks that we might do some more, like do some more of their records in this kind of format. So that's cool. I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a all wait and see thing. You know, I'm mm -hmm. kind of, I'm, I'm lower in the priority of like who knows what in that band, you know? So um, I'm just kind of happy to be involved. And it's it's been really, in a, like I said, to, to, to end up playing with like some really serious musicians during mm -hmm. all of this.
it's just kind of mind blowing. And, um, you know, I'm just so thankful. And it's like, I can finally say, Hey, look, my Instagram actually got me something. <laughs> yeah. So that's incredible. Um, I, I love that part about it too, because you know, it's, um, when we see people start coming up and playing and posting, it really does, it does make a difference. People do notice it, especially if it's, um, you know, if you have a really unique, something that's unique about you, which you yeah. absolutely do. And, and, I think that, um, and I think, yeah, that's, and I think that's the thing that I feel like, you know, I, I see a lot of drummers on Instagram and I feel like that's emerging more. I feel like for years it was kind of like who can play the fastest chops and, mm -hmm. and tag the most companies and show the most free gear, even though they're paying artist prices and this whole like weird posturing but I feel like what I'm seeing a little bit more is people really like, I think because we were all, all of a sudden everybody had a home studio because that's all we could right. do. Yeah. So, I, so you see like everyone kind of has like, not everyone, like, but a lot of people like spend time like really curating the way their camera angles looking and they have like a cool plant or like, I don't know, something that like that's inviting to you when you're watching a video mm -hmm. and there. And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of drummers started making like a lot more music maybe for the first time or more of it. And so you have a lot more of like people like me, like releasing music and it's not just about the drums, you know, mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, I feel like the personal expression of drummers is getting pretty interesting right now on Instagram. So. I agree. Absolutely. I, I think that, um, I think that, um, you know, people showing their unique abilities mixed in with kind of traditional drumming is, is becoming a thing. Um, and what would you, what advice would you have for someone who's kind of coming up and looking to experiment with electronics? Is it just go for it? Like tri trial and error? Yeah. Kind of thing? I think it's literally go for it because there's so many, there's so many things like literally like you can see like Mark Giuliana's page and he's messing around with electronics and there's, there's no shortage of like pedals. And, and even if you don't buy a pedal, if you can like, even if you just have garage band or Ableton, if you can go in there and, and mess with stuff. Um, that's the thing I really love about electronics is it, it's, it's, it's finding ways to take the drum set just kind of into further just somewhere further. Mm -hmm. And for me, because I was making so much production music, I was, I used to record the drums, bring it into Ableton and then go in there and kind of mess with the sounds of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe I can cut out the middleman and make my drums sound processed in real time. And um, so, yeah, I think just, I think really just trying to like find your voice and, um, yeah, don't be afraid to try something other people aren't doing. I think a lot of people, I've definitely had that thought before, like, oh, am I allowed to do this? Is like, I, I don't know how to set up a mic properly. Like, is it okay if I do it like this? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. It might sound cool. It might sound awful, but um, yeah, you might be able to hear the the ice cream chalk out the window, by the way. Oh my gosh. All the kids go running right to the ice cream <laughs> I live right. I live right across from a park. And That's come so nice. like come springtime, like for like an hour a day, like the ice cream truck comes, and there's days where I'm just like I feel like Mr. Wilson because I'm just like 
shut that thing up. It's just it's so loud and all the kids I are would, screaming. I would totally understand, Gunner, if you were like running out the door to go grab an ice cream. And come I mean, I, I, that's, not out, that's not out of the question either. Right. But. <laughs> um, but no, I love what you just said there about, you know, just taking a risk and experimenting and seeing if it works or not. Does it work? Let's find out. Right. And and you did that and look where you are. So um, that's some great advice. Um, oh, and you're doing you're doing amazing things. I cannot wait to see what's next and oh, where you things. where you are headed. Um, and thank you so much today. I really appreciate appreciate you being a guest and sharing your experiences and your story. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks for having. I'm I'm honored because the short list of the people that I've listened to so far in your podcast are pretty impressive. So I, I, I feel honored to be in their presence. And like, like I said, it's nice just to, I haven't seen you in a few years. I feel like the last time I was supposed to see you, you were sick. And so, yes, uh, yeah, I know. I think maybe it was right after one of the trade shows where we all yeah. come back. Like, you know, yeah, exactly. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's so good to see you too. And I'm grateful that we got this time together and sure. we will see each other in person again soon. Really? I know I keep saying that, but it's happening. It's going to happen. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Gunnar. We will talk to you soon. And in the meantime, take care. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.